Hey everyone, welcome to the First Name Only podcast. My name is Celeste. And I'm Shauna. First Name Only is an interview style podcast where we believe everyone's story is so important that we will only ever give away their first name. I know, I know. It's a little bit of a different approach. And as you're thinking about it, we're still figuring out the details ourselves. But we know this much. We want people to be known for who they are, not what they are. In the grand scheme of things, what labels us isn't as important as the details of our lives, our stories, and our hearts that make up who we really are. We can't wait to share some amazing stories of some amazing people with you. The music that you are hearing in the background is our very own incredibly beautiful theme song created by one of our good friends, Davis Harwell. Davis is a composer, instrumentalist, and musician who has crazy amazing talent. You can check him out on Spotify and Apple Music. We're so glad to have you here today. And now for today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the First Name Only podcast. My name is Shauna, and I am here with Celeste. Say hi, Celeste. Hi, everyone. Thank you again, everyone, so much for listening. Um, I know I say this every time, but I am just so grateful for every single one of our listeners and the time that you all take out of your days to just listen to the wonderful conversations that we have, and we couldn't be more grateful. Um, So thank you to everyone, and yet again, we're very excited for our next interview today. Yes, our interview today I'm super excited about, uh, we are super excited about, is our friend James, who Shauna and I have both worked with uh, in a role that we both kind of had that we've talked about. Uh, we both worked for a church in Colorado Springs and had the pleasure of working with James on various occasions. He is a cinematographer, and he told me to say cinematographer, not videographer, or he can be classified as a filmmaker. So, James, say hello to everyone listening, and also please tell us the difference in cinematography and videographer, if that's correct. <laughs> I, I think it's funny that you struggle to say the more common term, <laughs> videographer. <laughs> well, now I'm second-guessing yeah. it. <laughs> Hi, guys. I'm James. Um, and as uh, Celeste was saying, so, yeah, I'm a cinematographer. Um, the terms nowadays are pretty interchangeable um most often when someone calls me a videographer i don't correct them um and even if you look up like the definitions you might see it's it's almost more opinionated but the way i define it um videography that's just to capture a thing so like for example let's say let's say a wedding you know and you hire a wedding videographer um at that point the assumption would be that they are mainly just supposed to document the wedding, make sure you capture it. So long as it's captured on video, the videographer did their job. Cinematographer, however, now let's Mm -hmm. say it's a wedding cinematographer, um, obviously they have to capture it on video as well, but it's more, I would say, artistic. Um, Their goal isn't just let me capture it, but it's I have to capture it with a certain look or style. I have to pay attention to composition and lighting. Um, you know, cinema. Yep. So cinema is part of it. Mm-hmm. So making it cinematic, I guess you would say, um, and a narrative as well. Like, how can I do this to where it's not just, well, this is how it all unfolded. So that's how I tell it. No. How can I yep. shoot it to tell a story and make sure that gets told? So it's it's just a bit more technical. Um, 
in my opinion. So yeah. that's why I like to specify. I did just. I did just look up a definition while you were talking, and the definition of cinematography is the art of making motion pictures, which I feel like is, like, making is, like, the key word, like, art and making, mm -hmm. right? Like, mm -hmm. you're not just yeah. videoing this thing, you're, like, creating this this motion picture, which I feel like is super cool. And also, I feel like when you say cinematographer, it means that you're going to, like, win an Oscar one day, so congratulations ahead of time. Don't forget the little Ooh. people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you don't can't forget win the an people Oscar. that hired you, you in the a, beginning. You can't win an Academy Award for Best Videographer, but you can exactly. win it for Cinematographer, <laughs> for Cinematography. The winner is James yeah, for true. Cinematography. Thank you, Shauna and Celeste, for having wow. me on the podcast way back when. <laughs> I know it'll be the first person you think. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, no. Not not his wife or his daughters or anything. It'll be the first name only podcast. Ain't that the truth? That'll be. Who I thinks. I don't know who if I <laughs> ever kidding. did win an Academy I'm Award. I don't know who I'd thank because I mean, you guys, you've seen an Academy Award show before, right? Yeah. Like, do you yes. as a viewer? Even if you like the actor, think they're cool, are happy that they got an Academy mm -hmm. Award, do you ever personally care when they say, oh, and, you know, and Ben, uh, Charlie, Suzanne, all the people from Sound just want to say thank Like, are you as a viewer <laughs> thinking, like, oh, I'm glad they say that? You know, you're, you're just kind of thinking, oh, hmm. like, if they say their mom or their dad, hot take. that might be kind of meaningful, like, ah, but when it's just... I don't know. So if I wanted as Academy. a viewer, I definitely don't mm -hmm. care. But if I was Ben, it would get lit in my house. I'd be like, "Did y'all hear that?" They said my name. I'm Ben. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. See, I'm a little bit more emotional than that. Um, I think I would care. Um, I would care if I knew why. Like, if it's just a list of people and I have no idea why they're important, then you know it's whatever. But. Okay, but, okay, so thinking about, like, valedictorian speeches, have either of you watched Gilmore Girls? Oh my gosh, Elena's watching that right now, don't even get me started. <laughs> okay, okay, well, anyway, all of the people who love Gilmore Girls are going to understand this. The only episodes that I have consistently cried in in that television series are when Rory is graduating and she thanks her mother and her grandparents. She has two graduations in that, like, nine-series sh television show, and I cry both times because it's like, you know, and when she talks about her grandparents, she talks about them as the pillars and what she stands on. Straight tears. Okay. I can't okay. do it. So, well, okay. Well, you know what? Are, is anyone surprised that I'm emotional about that? Because having I'm never not. seen Gilmore Girls, that, that's the show you said, right? Gilmore Girls? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you, as the viewer, know the mom and the grandparents? Yes, you're like emotionally okay. invested so in those people. Where, if she thanked some character, you're like, what? When, what episode were they in? Would Do you think he would have cried? Yeah, that's probably true. So, you know. He makes such know. good... You know what? James, everybody. James. <laughs> this is why we have him, because he makes such good points. Yeah, well, all that just to say that uh, <laughs> when I have thought about, if I won an Academy Award, who would I thank? What would I say? All I know is I would want it to be memorable, which means I would probably let everyone know before I there was... Um, attending if I knew I had been nominated um, hey just want to thank you one-on-one -on -one personally um, just in case you know it, it doesn't Aww. come up when I'm up there and I probably wouldn't thank anyone in specific uh, well, not because I wouldn't be grateful but just because 
If, you wouldn't want to leave anybody out in the heat of the moment. If I have that platform, I, I would want to say something more meaningful, memorable, not necessarily, you know, like um, there's a giant trash heap in the Pacific Ocean. We as Americans. Oh, uh, you want to talk about I, milk. I wouldn't do that, but I just something. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. We can, we'll can. we take a handwritten letter talking about how meaningful this podcast episode was to you. You know what? Or Since you're going to thank us a, ahead of time, you're welcome. Or you guys time. could sponsor me, pay a hefty sum, and I'll wear, like, a patch with the logo of your podcast, like, right here. So I don't even have to say it. This is the whole time I'm up you there. Know, you know? You know what? Our dreams are really coming true right now. I already see Ellen, like, approaching James. Like, so who's on your shirt? <laughs> My dreams came true in this hypothetical we just came up with. <laughs> or Jerry from the... Jerry has been doing some red carpet stuff from... Um, Loving the Jerry. The documentary yes. on Netflix. Be a Jerry. James, do you have any idea what we're talking Cheer about? Cheerleading? The, have you watched the Cheer documentary on Netflix? It's a big deal. Everybody's talking about it. I didn't it. even know everyone was talking about it. Oh, my... Oh, it's a whole thing. And, of, oh. of course, Elena's all into Cheering it. Because my daughter is a cheerleader. Okay, so it is. Yes. Okay. Yes. And there's this guy on yes. there, and his name is Jerry, but he's, like, super enthusiastic, so Ellen sent him to the Oscars to the red carpet this year, and it was, like, a whole thing. That it was Jerry. He got to interview, like, Brad Pitt, mm. and I don't know anybody yeah. It was super cool. But... Anyway, let's yeah. get back to James. Anywho, <laughs> let's Now that all of our here, Academy folks. Award dreams have come true... Um, yes. So, James, I just um, want to start with just kind of a basic, kind of all-encompassing question here. So, it's it's just going to get heavy right away. Um, but just kind of loaded. tell us a little bit about just about you. What makes you, you? Um, that is such a big question. I know, right? I mean, we got the video I thing down. I feel like down. everyone so says that. Are you asking what makes me me today, or what made me me from the past, or both? Both. Like, where oh, do you come gravy. from? What do you think are like the defining things that make you who you are today? Okay. Um, how yeah. about this? How about this? Um, just because I can get very carried away, and I don't want to uh, have the rest of the podcast be <laughs> one question, since I'm sure you have several. I'll give some highlights, and if you're like, oh, hold on, let's let's talk about that, I'll let you just kind of interrupt me. Um, deal, deal. <laughs> okay. okay, so let's see. Sounds good. So I was born, no. Um, <laughs> well, for, I was born on a Tuesday. For the first nine or ten years of my life, um, uh, I, had, I had both my parents. Uh, they're now divorced, but I had both of them. And um, we traveled quite a bit we mostly lived in ohio um in this rinky dink little town called bowling green no way yeah i lived in bowling green ohio wait <gasps> seriously bowling green ohio yeah. isn't bowling green in kentucky uh, there's probably bowling green there i know there are a few in the u.s celeste are you about to say that you lived in bowling green were we she neighbors? has family in ohio no, I didn't live in Bowling Green, but I'm from Ohio, and I can't believe we've never had this conversation before, but I was looking at going to school in Bowling BGSU. Green. BGSU? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well. But I didn't, because I hate Ohio, and it's <laughs> gross there, so I didn't. Sorry, anybody I've listening that lives in Ohio. That lives there, so I can neither confirm nor deny how I feel and if I like Ohio. Um, but I liked it while I lived okay. there. 
But um, we we mostly travel between there and Guatemala because my mom is um, mm-hmm. is she's Guatemalan. She just moved to the U.S. like when she was pregnant with me, um, and then uh, yeah. So anyway, so like I said, up until I was maybe nine or ten, um, I had two older bro- uh, brothers, one younger sister, so I was kind of close to the middle. Um, very hyperactive kid. Also had a lot of anger issues. Um, like. He probably never met like a six or seven year old with such a foul mouth as me. Uh, I was so opposed to going to school when they brought me to my first day. I think it was preschool or kindergarten, probably kindergarten. It was a private Catholic school. Um, I'm sure that nun who was a teacher was not expecting me to cuss her out on the first day. But like I literally as um, I like I made a scene. I did not care who was watching, but I literally held on to the doors and they were trying to push me in and I was refusing saying I did not want school. Um, And then after I cussed out the teacher with my parents still standing at the door, um, we had a discussion with the principal and it was decided, you know, maybe, maybe he can wait a little bit longer to go to school. And uh, I was just happy that I got my way. But um, yeah, anyway. um, So family on my mom's side is Guatemalan. Um, I don't really have anyone from that side of the family who lives here in the U.S. and hardly any of them that speak English, even though they all take English in school. But it's the same as, you know, how here we all take Spanish in school and who still speaks Spanish after they leave school. Right. Um, yeah, so I, I became fluent in that and kind of grew up in this mixed home, two different cultures, two different languages, and that's just what I was used to. Uh, after that, though, my parents got divorced, which I took pretty hard. Um because I was a daddy's boy, and my dad's the one who left as a result of the divorce. And uh, so, you know, I grew up without him. And unfortunately, you know, 10 years old, going into 11, it's right in the, you know, the age where you start hormones, girls, Mm -hmm. um, depression. And so uh, I got depression. It hit me pretty stinking hard. A couple suicide attempts and all that, not to get too, too grim or anything, but... Um, just so it gives some context to how when I was a kid, like I said, I had all this hyperactive anger and then it morphed mm-hmm. into this muted depression as a teenager and it was just really dark and sad and, wow. and all that. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I was, I was pretty emo was the term, uh, goth, all that stuff. So I had all these long black spikes in my hair and, um, Painted my nails black, got arrested for shoplifting, all that kind of stuff. I, very, very different from the the James you two know today. Um, I think that's my favorite part of the previous yes. James story, like the the goth version of yeah. James. Yeah. I just like to envision it. it I, <laughs> for the well, record, for the those listening, he looks nothing like that. Are phenomenal. Hold on, uh, it's less what yes. we're saying. I mostly heard Shauna. Oh, that's okay. See, this happens all the time. Um, it would, I was just saying that the Transformation Tuesday pictures are phenomenal mm. from you, like, 15 years ago to you today. Yeah, my daughter. I also thought you were way mm-hmm. younger, way younger than you are, which nobody else can tell that right now because, <laughs> yeah. you know, they can't see you. But <laughs> when I first met you, I was like, there's no way. Like, there's absolutely no way. You're just like a little but, a spring chicken. Alas. You just look so good for your age. I appreciate that. And I return the compliments to both of you, too. 
Um, actually, oh, Celeste, thanks. I had thought you were closer to my age, meaning you'd be older, not because of your appearance, but because of your maturity. And when I met you, it just seemed like you were so on point. I was like, yeah, that's how I should be. She's my fellow peer. And then to find out that you were like, what, seven years younger than me or something. And I was just like, oh, mm-hmm. when I was her age. Yeah. How old are you? So I am 31 turning 32 this year. Yeah, I was about to say, oh I thought gosh. we were the See, same I'm... age and I just turned 32. Okay, so we are the same age. Mm-hmm. I'm 25 turning 26. Yeah. You're 25 turning 46. I... Knock it off. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. No, my, literally, everyone says that. And I don't know why that that is true. Because you're like, so wise I mean, beyond I guess, your I years. Know. I, uh, well, maybe. People people have told me that I'm an old soul. But I did, um, I did have to grow up pretty, pretty quickly as a kid. But, like, Brandon also said that, too. When Brandon, like, first saw me, I was speaking on stage at church. And he was, like... And he knew we had a mutual friend, and that's how mm-hmm. we met each other. But he was like, <gasps> he was like, and I was twenty three mm-hmm. at that time, and he thought I was thirty, and I was like, I'm third. I was kind of insulted. I was Whoa! Like, do I look thirty to you? No, no, because I'm like I'm twenty three, and I'm like, do I look thirty? But when I Pardon found out, me, it was sir. more of the, yeah. you know, emotional <laughs> side of it, and more of the like way I present yeah. myself and not necessarily the way that I look. I was like, okay, that's uh, The fine. term you said, but that's exactly that's exactly anywho. how I was described as a teenager. I, I very much disliked presenting myself with my actual age when I was a teenager. So if I was 13, I would say I was 15. If I was 15, mm-hmm. I would say I was 18. And everyone would totally mm-hmm. buy it. Um, I guess I should say mm-hmm. probably one of the more interesting things that I totally left out of my backstory is that um, uh, when we lived with my dad, he... Uh, he was a traveling vendor who toured with the Grateful Dead. So by the time I was, um, I, I think by the time I was three years old, I had supposedly, I don't remember, but been to over 100 Grateful Dead concerts. I do remember when Jerry Garcia died, our place had this huge candlelit visual, vigil. I, um, I did go to tons of bluegrass festivals. And so, like, for example, this is something funny I, I used to say back when um, pot became legalized in Colorado. Um, though I don't personally partake of the plant, um, once it became legal, you could drive down neighborhoods and totally just, you know, tell who was token up. And for most people, they would smell oh, it and yeah. just be like, hmm, weed, what is that? And for me, I'd be like, ah, oh, my youth. Like, it was nostalgic. I was like, <laughs> memories with my father, you know. <laughs> Um, you were like born a deadhead. I love it. Yeah, so that I totally forgot that. It's just I'm so used to it that I forget for other people. It's like that's a weird thing. Um, but that's, that's that's fantastic. That's probably part of what led to the depression when I was older because I was used to one style of life and having you know this close bond with my dad and road tripping like driving all around the U.S. and North America and through Mexico and Guatemala and all that. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly he's gone, and we just have to get by and uh and so my mom uh being a good catholic woman um she took on maybe i think it was four or five husbands but unlike what i would imagine the typical woman would do when she's single which is date because she's a catholic she has to marry (laughs) um Mm -hmm. so i had a ton of stepdads which probably only pushed me further from them but um yeah it uh it really funny though i had um Speaking to the goth thing, um, I found a lot of comfort and pride 
in being part of this subculture that was, you know, dark, mysterious, misunderstood, um, that liked to go against, you know, the culture, countercultural. Um, and so I took pride, I, I, not to brag or anything, but like I dated a lot of girls in high school. And so I took this shameless pride in transforming these sweet, innocent girls, um, you know, like honor roll, top of the class, I play mm. violin type of girls. And by the time I'm done with them, black hair dye, nothing but black, disregards their parents. And I'm just like, all right. I converted another. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow, it's, James. It was, yeah. Um, by the time I was done with high school, though, I uh, I finished with a 1.1 GPA, which is like straight Ds and Fs. Um, it was to the point that, uh, like, um, in my sophomore year, like, I, I honestly did not care at all getting a bad grade. I know for some people it was like the end of the world or crying or their parents would scold them. My mom would incentivize me by buying me a really good gift if I would just get a C or if I could at least, like, pass the class. And it was always a mystery. Is he going on to the next grade or not? And so um, a big reason for it was just I had zero interest in what they were teaching at school. But... Um, you know, the teachers would scold me, and then they'd send notes home to the, my mom. And my mom, being protective and loving, um, refused to believe that I was a bad kid. So instead, it had to be that he's struggling. Mm -hmm. He just needs more time. And she would say that, like, every single time to the point that, you know, eventually one teacher was just like, all right, then we should just get him tested, you know, if he actually has a learning disability. And, um, yeah, it was really funny just because what was supposed to be just um, like a one or two day session with uh, the school psychologist or whatever he is, um, ended up turning into a couple weeks of meeting with like getting passed from the school psychologist to a separate psychologist who was outsourced and came to the school. Um, I didn't know why, but it got me out of class for half the day for a couple weeks, so it was fun. But I had a lot of fun because we did a ton of just it was, it was like everything from puzzles to word games to spelling words Ooh. I'd never heard before to like he'd show me um, he'd show me a picture or a drawing no context no no instruction just hold it up I would just look at it and then he'd put it away sometimes we'd start talking about it other times we'd say nothing and move on and then maybe later on Ooh. or the next day we'd talk about it and he'd ask what I could recall and everything um, once that whole thing was done, and I was just wondering, you know, this is a lot of meeting just to figure out if I have an excuse not to do my work at school. Um, they had a meeting, so it was the school psychologist, this psychologist, uh, guidance counselor, my mom, my homeroom teacher, all that. I wasn't invited, and they had a meeting, and um, they didn't tell me the results, and I, I didn't get it. But I saw the psychologist with whom I'd spent the most amount of time just as he was leaving. I literally ran out of the school to catch him before he left. And I was like, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't just get to walk away. What, what did you figure out? What did you find out? Um, he, he didn't want to say. And uh, he had, like, the papers in his hands that I think he was going to scan and, like, send to my mom or something. But I, I honestly, like, I was holding his door. I was like, no, 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 no. What? What, what's going on? What are the results? What's, what's happening? Do I, like, my autistic? What's up? And um, he, the way he said it was, well, 
Let me put it like this, James. Whatever it is that you end up deciding you really, really want to do, something that catches your interest, I believe you will be able to do whatever that thing is. So don't ever feel limited, mm. but don't feel like you have an excuse not to do things. And then he left. Yeah. And I was like, what, what the heck? I ended up getting my hands on a copy of the results. I didn't understand any of it. And um, I just last year, like, so when I'm 30, you know, turning 31, took the results to, um, to a therapist, to a counselor, you know, someone with credentials as a psychologist, and just said, hey, have you ever heard of this test? And they're like, yeah, I've heard of that. Typically, that's, you know, the test that you give to figure out what's going on with somebody education-wise or development. And I said, yeah, would you be able to tell me what the results are? Um, I sent them to her. We had a meeting, and she said the results were that I have a superior IQ that I, at the when they test me when I was 15 or 16, that um, like my writing was at a, an 18th grade level, which I guess is like med school. Um, they mm -hmm. said like all this stuff, like competencies that it was just all this where I was like, this would have been good to know. Um, and so like I asked her, why on earth would they not tell me? And she said, you know, there could be different reasons. But the, the leading mm -hmm. guess that she had was that typically if you have a student that is underperforming, and you discover that they have a high IQ, usually it's because they're, bo they're bored, you know, they have no interest in it. They've either determined that what mm -hmm. they're learning or what the, someone's trying to tell them this is important that they've already deemed it's not important, so you're not getting my attention. It's not stimulating, it's not challenging, all that stuff. Um, but the reason you wouldn't tell them is because if they're already underperforming, they'll take that as, oh, you see, I don't have to because I'm already smart. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it probably was better at the time they didn't tell me. I um I was able in in one year um to take straight Fs to straight A's. Uh, my mom convinced the teachers to give a stack of all of my overdue missed assignments, everything. Uh, I think the teacher just gave it because they didn't think I would do it, but I, I did it all. Um, and because I was nice. able to turn everything wow. from straight Fs to straight A's in the course of like one month, um, I actually got awarded for a, a college scholarship to a, a Caldwell College, some place I'd never heard of, and um, the only stipulation was that I had to maintain a high grade point average and all that, and I would get free college. And uh, naturally, as soon as I was done with that, I, I just let my grade slip. Like I said, I finished uh, high school with like the lowest GPA you can get. Um, I actually, mm -hmm. I didn't even graduate. I ended up getting my um, GED. Uh, I guess I probably should have taken it as a hint. When I took the GED without studying, without anything, years after, you know, I left high school, and then they sent me a letter saying that I scored in, like, the upper 5th or 10th percentile in the state for everyone that took the GED uh, that year. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, cool. I guess I just remembered a lot of high school-based stuff. Um, and then moving into, like, young adult life, um, I'll touch back on this uh, about how I got interested in film, but when eventually when I was interested in film I mostly just taught myself everything YouTube tutorial after YouTube tutorial getting my hands on you know little pocket digital cameras with a video function oh hey now smartphones exist with video on it you know to date myself mm. um, and all that and the the leading idea from you know my mom and I started talking to my dad again as an adult um, he lives overseas so I don't get to see much but 
from both my parents and from my wife were, hey, why don't you go to film school? Hey, why don't you make it official? Why don't you get a degree? And I was just thinking, you don't need one. You don't need one. I had met with a couple other people who, you know, owned their own video production companies, and they would just confirm too, yeah, you don't need to go to film school. Like, I mean, literally no one in, in L.A. is going to ask you know, what school did you go to? What do you have a degree in? Mm -hmm. What was your GPA? Like, they don't care. All they care is, what have you worked on? And let me see an example. So long as it's good or impressive, mm -hmm. I'll hire you. I don't care where you, I don't care if you just came off a boat from China. Let's put you to work because you do good stuff. Um, but it, part of what, you know, high school foreshadowed, if it's not something I have an interest in, it's like pulling teeth and, um, I only liked learning the yeah. fun Which stuff. I object that term because pulling teeth is actually a lot easier than it looks. Oh, yeah. Your husband's a dentist. Okay. It's like... Shauna's husband is a dentist. I don't know. What's dentist. something... Everyone what's something, take that with a grain of salt. It's something painful that's not pulling teeth? It's like... Putting a needle in your that's, eye. That's yeah, awful. That's hard. Painful. Yeah, but that's not something you would do. It has to be something that you would do or would have to... Okay. It's like... um. <laughs> Every time someone says it's like pulling teeth, Jay is like, wait a second. Running a marathon. I oh, tried boy. wearing some high heels once. It's like, it's like 20 minutes. It's like men it's wearing like high heels. It's like 20 minutes in high heels when you've never worn them before. It's brutal. That's actually a very wow. good term. But, I enjoy that That's much like better. a baby giraffe. Yeah. But, <laughs> baby giraffe. But the thing was, I acknowledged that... Um, I, I was only learning the fun stuff about filmmaking, which is, you know making a pretty shot, how do you position a light and all this stuff. And I knew there were a ton of things that I was probably missing out on because either A, it's not fun, so I am not looking into it, or B, because it's not interesting or because it is a technical thing and most of the you know, tutorials I was watching were from people who also self-taught, which means if they didn't mm. know it, they can't teach it, which means if it's not available, I don't know that it's something I'm supposed to learn. So eventually I decided to go to film school to learn what I didn't know I didn't know. And it was Ooh, cool. But um wow. it was I like that. it was finally going to school for something that I chose to learn, mm. that I chose to do, and that I wanted to learn. I ended up <laughs> finishing um Magna Cum Laude, which was a huge shock. And then when I graduated, they uh, unexpectedly presented me with three different awards, an achievement award, course director award. And even though I graduated years ago, um, I'm still contacted by new students from the school because apparently they're using e examples of my class projects as the teacher's example wow. of trying to make cool. something like this. In fact, somebody who just moved to this area um, who is going to this, uh, the school, well, who finished at the school, um, he had even done a project on me. And so um, when he's, you know, interacting with me and stuff like that, apparently his classmates uh, even said, isn't that the guy from the videos in our class? Yo, I thought he was like a teacher or something. So he's just like a guy. And uh, how funny. Yeah, so. He's just normal. Really cool to learn that, wow. you know, that guy, that psychologist was right, that all I had to do was find something I'm interested in. But then the big yeah. question is, what happens as a grown adult, as a husband and a father and all that, when I have responsibilities and things that aren't always fun or interesting? How do I keep mm. myself interested? So I end up having to turn everything into either a challenge or a game. I feel like 
I have to Mary Poppins my work for myself to get me to do it. But it works. Hmm. Um, yeah, wow. I'm sure that could be its own topic. But um, at least you've recognized that, though, and like kind of made a step that makes it fun for you mm. so that you can actually get it done instead of just like blowing it off. I think yeah. it's so it's 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 a hundred percent easier to not do the thing than it is to do the thing yeah. so it's like the yeah. fact that you've like recognized that and said i just need to make this a game i just i, I admire that that's cool yeah i'm i'm huge on yeah. self-improvement um like i said so i used to have a, a you know a history of depression and that did not go away when i stopped being a teenager so in my 20s i still had it um which was surprising because i remember when i stopped being depressed for a time in my early 20s and I thought I'm over it it was literally you know just a teenage angst thing and then when it came back I was shocked like I I truly believed it was gone mm. and then just to to realize and then wow. learning get diagnosed that oh it's gonna come in waves and it's just a part of my life yeah. forever and then oh <laughs> my kids might have it someday anyway um mm -hmm. as as somebody who's big on self-improvement <clears throat> And then I, I guess maybe this is part of that whole high IQ thing. And I, I don't say that to brag or anything, but um, I self-examine constantly. I'm constantly reflecting on mm -hmm. anything I do. How could it be better? I can be in the middle of something that I really want to do where I'm trying my absolute hardest. <clears throat> and how a lot of people, after they finish, they're like, oh, it's so bad. I will be hating it while I'm doing it, but loving it at the same time. Loving it because mm -hmm. I'm doing what I like, but then hating it because... I like my mind and my eyes are sharper than what like my hands can do and so I'm comparing it to what I believe it should be and yet my own capabilities aren't there and even if like I'm better than I was last time or last year or when I started or than somebody else I am I feel like I'm competing against myself and so as a result yeah. I'm constantly self-examining um, yeah. and and one yeah. interesting thing I found um, as as you may be able to tell I'm, I'm not depressed presently and uh, I haven't been for for at least a few years um the last time they hit depression i was finally able to figure out for myself what the heck causes it through going through it time after time after time and then each time trying to figure out what what caused it because it's not like you know like a girl dumps you and then you're sad and then that becomes your lifelong depression right um mm -hmm. most of the time if you have you know an actual diagnosed depression if it's something that isn't just kind of permanently there, just in different amounts, if it comes in waves like it does for me, um, you don't feel when the wave is coming until you're already waist deep and you're like, oh, when when did this? I'm I'm already depressed. Mm -hmm. How long have I been this way? Um, and it's it's weird because by that point you realize that it's just it's getting so much further up until you're drowning to where it gets to that bad. But this last time, um, a, a few years ago, I finally was able to just figure out what what is it um, through trial and error. And um, to boil it down into the simplest terms, apparently I'm the type of person that if at any point I feel like I have not or am not in a state of progression, that's when the depression starts. And it, it can be anything. So not just like professionally. Mm. Professionally is, is a good way. So, you know, my business isn't doing well. But as a person, like if I set a personal goal, like, uh, you know, I want to learn how to cook, which I've never wanted to. So thank God, because I'm terrible at it. And I would just hit depression if I tried. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if I just every day am trying and still going nowhere, that would be bad. Um, if I feel like I don't know a thing or two more than I did yesterday or all that, 
Um, and so occasionally it has almost kind of started and I could feel like just down and I would just immediately start reflecting like, okay, okay, do I feel like I'm accomplishing anything? And I'll realize, no, 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 this month, this month just no, nothing has been moving forward. And then I'll immediately set for myself something I know I can achieve but I haven't done yet and try to do it as soon as possible and the depression never gets any further. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it's almost like putting yourself aside just so you can get stuff done. Yeah, it's it's interesting, but yeah. um, very helpful. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, I totally get that. I guess. So why yeah. in in all of this? And you mentioned it a second ago, but why why video? What brought you to that? So I don't have a fun or cinematography. Yeah. <laughs> cinema, excuse me. What, what? Why cinema? Well, you said video, <laughs> and I make videos, so that's that's still fine. But. Uh, yeah. But you cinematographize oh them, so. That's not a word, but you should coin it. Um, it's a word now. Don't worry about it. It's a word. I, mean, I, I don't have some amazing, inspiring, epic story of how, you know, like, like, for example, with my depression, or I didn't have my dad, but a camera became my best friend and my only outlet. No, I wanted to be either, no joke, either a rock star, because I played guitar, um, epically um well yeah and you grew up in or that kind of a psychologist because the the guy who um Ooh. was the one who um you know discovered my my high intelligence i just really admired him i love the way he carried himself he was very unlike me Ooh. um as a goth at the time um you know he was one of the i wear a sweater vest with my collars out and all that and someone i would normally think little of and make fun of thinking this is the kind of door uh, the guy you don't want banging on your door trying to sell you a bible um that's how I would have put it back then. But uh, I could just tell, like, he was so confident and he knew himself. And, you know, anything that I would say that would normally get under people's skin, especially authority figures and teachers, didn't get under his skin just because it didn't, like, I, I don't know, just something about him I really liked to where I thought, you know, maybe I'd like to do what he does. Um, any of that or uh, I've always had an interest in... Um, language so I've thought about you know writing or as a linguist or all these kinds of things um, never really did much with it just because I didn't know much about it and uh, as a writer and Celeste I, I believe you have some background in writing if not presently but um, I, I hate revising yes. like if I write a thing and I'm like it's good and someone's like alright now let's just you know trim it down or you know make it better I'm like no 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 it's, it's done like I do, I do not like yeah. the process of having to revise stuff. Um, yeah. 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 Once it's done, I'm the same way. I like compartmentalize everything. So as soon as it's done, I'm like out of sight, out of mind. I've done it yes. now. Yeah. We're good. Exactly. So anyway, th that's that's what I wanted to be. But um, I guess leading from the the wannabe rock star, um, when I was 17, turning 18, um, I guess statistically speaking, probably the one of the last good chances to catch a person for this to happen. Um, I ended up becoming a Christian. I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior and uh, completely defied everything about who I was at the time. So it was, um, it's funny. As a Christian, I know a lot of Christians who, you know, I'm like, when did you become a Christian? They're like, you know, I've kind of always been. Or they're like, you know, I accepted the Lord in my heart when I was three or four. And they're sweet stories and I'm not, saying that they're lying or that they're false or anything but because for me I was practically an adult almost 18 
and it was a very logical decision. I had to reason it out because I, I was so firm in my belief that um, anyone who was a religious person was mentally bankrupt, that they had basically forsaken reason in, you know, in the pursuit of using some superstitious beliefs as, as a crutch. That's how I put it. Um, that is so nice to hear someone say that because I thought the exact same thing before I was a Christian. I thought I was like terrible. I was like, I'm so terrible for thinking this about people. So oh, I yeah. like it's so comforting to hear you say that because I thought the exact same. Yeah, thing. you could say like. Well, and I think we were all adults when we became Christian. I think we were all adults when we became because I was a similar age to mm-hmm. James. I was. Mm-hmm. I had just turned okay. eighteen. So this was last year. I mean, year I was for raised you. in church, but. <laughs> um. Oh, I thought he was making I was. fun of me because, yeah, because you're young. Young. Oh, okay. Uh huh. I was like rude, um, but I was like, wait, does he really think I became a Christian yeah. last year? Because we might have to like redefine that. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, I think um, I think it's interesting when you become mm-hmm. in a Christian when you become a Christian as an adult because I was I was definitely like raised in church and James. I don't know if you were raised in Catholic church, um, but I was raised in Episcopal church and um, being raised in a really Mm -hmm. traditional Christian environment um, that also at the same time doesn't have a lot of parameters around it. Like it was just like, it was just what we did. It wasn't necessarily like, you know, um, it wasn't like, it wasn't from the like core of us and that's Mm -hmm. how we lived our whole lives. It was a task, not a lifestyle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was like a That's habit. That's exactly it, because um, mm-hmm. as you touched on and as I said, I grew up going to Catholic school, at least up until my dad left, because mm-hmm. uh, he was the breadwinner, he made the money, and so after that, apparently Catholic school is really expensive, and as a single mother of four, uh, public school starts looking yeah. acceptable, you know. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's, I would say... And that's the tricky thing, too, because so, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a Christian now and I'm a father. And so thinking back, being raised in a Catholic home, Catholicism, you know, for all intents and purposes, is equally Christian, just a slightly different practice um, from Protestant or mm-hmm. non-denominational evangelical, which, which I guess I would say is what I am. Um, I became disillusioned with the idea of religion because you would hear these tales and these teachings of Jesus and how Christians are supposed to be, but then you come Mm -hmm. home and when what you live with, like the other people who you're either looking to or exposed to the most, don't measure up to what you're being taught, this is how people are supposed to be, or you're being Mm -hmm. taught, this is how people are supposed to be, and this person is that, and then you're thinking, but that doesn't look like what you say it's supposed to look like. You know, as you mature from right. being a kid, you just realize, oh, so it's all BS, or you know, yeah, like, uh, and that that was that was the conclusion <laughs> I came to. So, yeah. um, as a young adult who came to this as a very logical conclusion, which um, you know, if, if you wanted to ask, I could get into it, but without it, I'll, I'll just kind of gloss over. You know, just deciding that this, uh, I, I I will become a Christian, um, and I will believe what they believe, and accepting it, um, not just blindly, but still, like even today, I'll. I'll try and reason things out I would rather have these conversations one-on-one um, not just because the audience is limited but also because when I know who I'm talking to rather than you know I have, I have like 
over a thousand some number of Facebook friends and any one of them could see whatever I post uh, and not all of them think the same, agree the same, comprehend the same, or will take it the same way. But if I'm talking to one or two people, I can then gauge who my audience is, how do I want to present this, how deep do I want to go, and whatnot. And it's just, it's, um, I right. think it's a better experience for you know, myself and for them, and they'll get a, a better, more authentic perspective of what I actually think about a subject. So, and that's, it's... Sure. I don't know. Some people might think I'm overthinking, but I know a lot of people say I overthink when it comes to filmmaking too. Like I'll um, I'll compose a shot. That's a good quality. I'll though. compose a shot, and the average person will say it looks good or it looks pretty. Um, I mean, I the way I put it is, um, I take it as the biggest compliment I can get from somebody who's not like a film buff or from my industry. Just you know, the average Joe Schmo, when they say, "Wow, it looks like a movie." Because I know everything they're trying to say, and I'm just like, thank you. You know, like, you're trying to say that this is as good as thank it gets, you. and I know it's not, but I'm glad that you see it that yeah. way. Whereas, like, um, you know, everything from, uh, Shana, I know that you had to look up the different definitions between a cinematographer and a videographer not long ago. And I, what was the definition you found for cinematography or cinematographer? It said, the art of making motion pictures. Yes. Yeah. And so I considered it a technical art, but the art part of it is the fun part um, because that's the part that no one can say is wrong or right mm. because it's all a matter of taste or opinion. And um, yeah, and so subjective. I, you know, not having any boundaries, how do I want to make this? Um, I, I pull a lot of elements from from fine art with how I do things. Like for example, if you're a painter, and I'm not a painter, my wife is a painter. But um, so she knows about things like, um, you know, when you're painting uh, direction, line, form, action, mood, like mm. all these things where you would think, well, that is limited to, you know, charcoal painting and uh, oil paint or not charcoal paint, char you know, all that stuff. But it's a fine art type thing. It's still a right. visual art, totally applies to cinema and um, mm -hmm. cinematography. And so I'll do these things that I know the average person totally won't notice. And especially when the average person is hiring me for a project, um, I'll even have that little debate like, I could shoot it like this, which will be faster and easier, and I'm sure they'll love it, and it will still look good. Or I could put this extra time, and just for me, I know it'll have these extra pieces, but to be honest, I don't think anyone's going to notice except for other filmmakers, and they're not my audience. And but you feel good watching yeah, that. Yeah, oh yeah. Like, 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 like for example... Um, when I was shooting a, a short film once, a narrative, I intentionally chose to do an over-the-shoulder shot where you could see a person, um, but they weren't the focus, so they were partially obscured. And then the person who was the focus of the shot, you could see them more clearly. But if you actually look, the person who is out of focus, who is more in control of the situation, and I see this shot actually quite a lot with uh, professional cinematographers for, for you know big Hollywood movies, um, I have them physically dominant though they're out of focus so your eye naturally goes more to the person you're supposed to look at as more symbolically of of who is really in control here the other person is huge and the and and the person you're looking at is actually smaller and it's just one of these psychological things of just it, it's a visual um i guess symbol sim you know for for like i said who holds the power who holds the control this person is clearly over the other person but people wouldn't think about it. And so it's just, 
It's fun. But that's why you're a cinematographer and not a videographer, because you're tell you're using those techniques to tell stories yeah. and actually in you know, invoke a feeling in people and not just I have to watch this thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. Which which I feel like which brings me to this question, because um, you just kind of said that the the creative side of it you really enjoy and kind of creating those the 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 visual stuff and everything. Um, so what is it about about filmmaking that a gives you life like what is it that you're just like yes I love this about this process and then on the other side of that what is it about filmmaking that totally drains you so as far as what gives me life um I said I call filmmaking a technical art and I just got done talking about the art piece but the technical piece um and this, this might have to do with that whole need for me personally to constantly feel engaged and stimulated and challenged. Um, that comes more out of the technical aspects of filmmaking. You know, with the artistic parts, how are you supposed to evaluate? I mean, someone can say it looks good, someone can say it looks bad, and you can always find someone, you know, for one group or the other, but how are you supposed to measure if it's worthy or not from an artistic perspective? From a technical perspective, though, you can definitely compare it to things that are right or wrong, standard or unstandard. Um, and, and those take shape uh, in the form of, like, for example, um, I, I used to run several different YouTube channels. Uh, all of them are, are deleted and wiped off the face of the earth, so don't worry about looking for them. Um, you know. A lot of people say, like, oh, you should leave that kind of stuff up because it shows how you develop. Like, you know, you see a big YouTuber and you go way back to their mm -hmm. early stuff from years ago and they're, like, in high school and they look so lame and their videos are boring. Um, and I get why they keep it there so you can see the growth. Me personally, like, no, 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 no. I don't, don't, don't worry about that. Delete that. I, I'm, I'm, me <laughs> today like, is all you yeah. need to We're gonna see We're going to start here. About. Yeah. Um, but with, um, with those YouTube channels, um, Oh shoot! I forgot what I was saying. I guess I'll take that moment to, to point out. So I, I, I have attention deficit. You were talking disorder, about the technical so side things. giving you life. <laughs> yes, with the technical aspects. Um, with my YouTube channels, one thing I just couldn't get past: my videos were notoriously long, like to where they'd they were supposed to be funny or fun. And the first minute or so, like, yeah. And then by the seventh or eighth minute, you're like, okay, is this, did I watch the good part already? And then by the twelfth minute, it's like, um, I'm, I'm going to do some laundry while I How long this. is this video? Yeah, I know. <laughs> and the, I, I, uh, people would tell me, like, uh, I would constantly ask, like, is it any good? Did you like it? Did you like it? And, you know, my friends trying to be sport like, oh, it's, it's something, yeah. Um, but they would always say, you know, maybe just if, if you could make it shorter and I would just think I wouldn't know how to make it shorter if I tried my hardest because in my mind, everything that's in it was necessary. If I took this out, then that would make sense. If I took this out, no, because that's that's part of what makes me quirky. And um, there's a term for it in the film world called it's graphic. Uh, it's called killing your babies. So as a filmmaker, you have to be prepared to kill your baby. So. What you're working on is your baby. Oh, I kind of get it, though. And you want yeah. to protect oh, it. You want sense. it to grow. You want, you yeah. no, 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 your opinions. You can't touch this and all that. Instead, the, the idea of killing your baby means, um, you know, 
if you feel that like a a, pro, uh, a promotional video, a commercial, um, you know, a film, I feel, oh, this this makes a great 10 minute short film. Killing My Baby would be, let's make it a great four minute short film. So pushing myself to get it on a technical level down to something, um, which is why, part of why, a lot of my videos today, um, whenever anyone's telling me we want it to be four minutes, five minutes, six minutes, eight minutes, I will immediately rebut with, can we do it in two minutes? And a lot of times they'll think it can't be done. And I'm like, okay, well, we can try it. And I'm telling you, like, my most successful videos for my clients are the ones that are like two to three minutes, no more, no matter what they think needs to go into it. You know, yes, and it's, it's, it's part of that whole technical aspect of, okay, I did the creative, which was everything I shot and did and thought up, and, but now the technical is deciding, being picky. So not just, okay, I liked all of this, but what is relevant to itself and what's relevant to what the client wants, what's relevant to the main point I'm trying to get, the story I'm trying to sell. Yeah, this shot was great. Or yeah, that moment was epic. But if it's completely unrelated to the overall picture I'm trying to paint, the narrative I'm trying to tell with this video, it's not going in. Um, like I, yeah. one thing I shoot yeah. are wedding films. And so, you know, how do you choose what's important in a wedding film when every moment of the day is so important? And uh, uh, if you go on my website, at least as of right now, um, the two main packages I feature are no longer than four to six minutes tops. And I'm taking an entire wedding day and putting it to that. And this is competing with other people who do wedding films that, you know, they call like a 20 minute featurette or the full length documentary, like a 90 minute film. And I don't offer it. Um, and when I'm having conversations, usually with the bride, they're the ones chored with uh, having to hire everyone for a wedding. Um, the big thing is, uh, well, we want you to capture everything, but it needs to go in the video and your stuff looks so great, but we were just wondering, could you do it longer? And it's not that I'll say no to a project, but I will try to talk them into the shorter, not because I'm lazy or anything, but because I truly believe shorter is better. Um, and I will... More visually I'll, pleasing, I'll be I feel on, like, I'll anyway. be on the phone with them and or in person and show them examples and tell them, go to this video, go to this video. And notice how, I mean, this video was 3 minutes, 30 seconds long. What did you see? And they'll be like, well, everything was in there. I'm like, yeah everything was in there. You don't need to see the entire event play out. What you need to see, at least with my approach, are the moments that made it special. Even just the feelings. That smile your grandmother had, it doesn't need to be its own three-minute segment of a thing to see her uh, listening and nodding her head. Oh, and then she laughed and all that. No, just take the best moment of that when she laughed. And I, li I like to, to show the actual transformation. I do everything in slow motion for like a wedding specifically. But when you see her face is normal, and then right when the laugh comes out, and the, the, the clip, like all I put of that moment might only be a few seconds, but it was more powerful, more of what you actually want to remember than if I had left it like as this big long watching grandma listening to the whole thing. Um, and so that's, that's part of how I approach it on a technical level of killing all these artistic babies that I gave myself free range to do, you know. Um, that and then also determining if a video is successful based on either number of views for a client or if they were using it as a fundraiser to make money. Um, did they achieve that? Does this actually, you know, though there might be all these cool hidden artistic things in it, 
does it get the message across that if somebody is hiring me, like we need to educate our viewers on this thing? Does it educate, you know? Um, yeah, so I, I would say it gives me a lot of life when I'm doing any of these filmmaking projects with the challenge of how do I keep true to myself as an art form, um, doing all these things that are fun and expressive, that visually, aesthetically are so pleasing to me and to other people, but on a technical way, figuring out how to do it effectively, efficiently, you know, um, in a way that not just makes me happy, but naturally makes my clients happy, my viewers happy. Um, and the, the juggle between those two, which I think for a lot of people is, is definitely a challenge, especially when you're starting out. To me, it's a fun challenge. It's, a cha it's the kind of challenge that I live for. I like to do it. And I like to see the comparison of how I used to do it and then like, oh, that guy sucked. I feel bad for the people who hired me that long ago because now it's great. And I like knowing that 10 years from now, I'll look at my stuff from today and think, oh, that guy sucked. I can't believe he thought he was good. What I do now is good. You know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, you're making it a game. Yeah. You're like, just like what yeah. you said, you're making it a challenge or a game yeah. or something. Yeah. Okay, so we're gonna wrap this up in the next few minutes, but um, James, what is what do you feel like is your big dream for your business, for your work in the future? Like, what do you feel like is the big thing that you maybe want to accomplish in your lifetime or that you're looking forward to? So, as you might have gathered, I, you know, someone who likes a challenge and likes to look back and, and decide that I'm better than I was back then, I can be very competitive. Um, I don't think in bad ways to where, you know, I hate my opponents or anything. Very often my opponent is me. I'm competing with myself. But I use it as motivation. Um, it helps to stimulate me to try harder than I would have tried if I wasn't racing against something else or competing with it. But when you're very often just competing against yourself, you're the judge, you're the one deciding whether it's good or not. Um, and after a while, you really kind of look forward to other people being the judge and praying that they agree that it's good. Um, obviously, if you say something's good and 10 other people say it's bad, and they're the first 10 people you talk to, you'll change your mind and think, oh, I thought that was good. I guess I was wrong. I don't know what to change, though, because that's, shoot, I think wrong. So with part of that whole competitive aspect and just constantly trying to be better and better and better at my craft, um, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, I guess I would like some sort of notable acknowledgement from peers. I, I know I'm describing the Academy Awards. Um, I smell an Academy it's, Awards I'm, 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 not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that it's like, oh, my dream is to win an Oscar. Um, but but something, so it is. something like that. It, and, and the funny thing, I don't, I don't like to watch the Academy Awards. I, I don't often watch the, the, the films that get picked not because they're bad but just you know maybe it's the goth in me i'm just like nah nah counterculture have you seen this obscure german film too that, mainstream you know, man. touches on the inner humanity of you know society um but no it's just something like that um and this is arguable because a lot of people say the oscars aren't actually picked based on who owns it uh, or who deserves it it's based on whoever whichever producers pay the most money to get it you know whatever but 
something that is just a very strong acknowledgement from peers and people who get it. Not just the average Joe who all think it's pretty or my mom who thinks everything I do is golden, but people who have a really refined taste, who are exposed to really good stuff, have been a part of really good you know, projects, and yet deciding that my stuff stands out from all that. Um, kind of like, you know, when I found out that, uh, I mean, you know, when, you, when you're a terrible student in school and you get told that, even if you don't care, at some point you do wonder, you know, like, am I bad at this? Am I not smart? Am I not keeping up? I mean, you like to tell yourself you've never given it your all. So maybe there's hope that, you know, if you actually tried, you'd be great, but you're kind of wondering and a little bit afraid to, to actually try because what happens if you find out you're not great and you actually are insufficient. Um, but then finding out for myself that um, the opposite was true and just what it meant for me and the motivation, the encouragement, and then just taking off any limiters I might have put on myself by thinking the opposite. You know, I, I feel like it doesn't have to be an Academy Award, you know, per se, but just something where in my mind it means a lot for whoever receives it. And then even if it is just acknowledgement, not an award, but if I got that. Um, but not just me as a person, I would like it to be for something that I build and so uh, as an entrepreneur having a business, um, I guess the more tangible form of what my big dream is, um, I, I technically have a video production company, but right now the company is mostly me and for bigger projects, you know, I, I contract other people, but they're not actually employees. I would love to have a big enough business one day, a big enough production company to hire full-time employees to where they are my workers. I'm not saying like big, like I don't want Universal Studios or Universal Pictures or Sony Pictures or anything like that, but like a place with even just a team of like 30 to 40 people. Um, and between all of us, um, we produce some amazing content and projects and stuff that really, you know, um, maybe they would be the ones I thank in that Academy Awards speech, you know, but just something that shows not just me, but something that I built, kind of like my legacy is notable so that as I'm some old man, you know, dying, I know that I, I made a mark. I have something to pass on to one of my daughters or, or something like that. But and that it was acknowledged and it was good. It's it's something worthwhile. It has some oomph behind the name, not just like, oh, I never heard of that because, you know, as good as I like to think I am here and there. And I, I know I have so much room to go. I'm still a nobody when you think about it. Like nobody knows me except for people who work with me or mm -hmm. friends. Um, and that's not bad. Yeah. That's just where I'm at right now. So I guess the big dream is yeah. to be able to look but back on there. today and be somewhere, yeah. you know, different. Well, Celeste and I definitely are not cinematographers because we are not artistic or making any sort of motion picture. But I would say with our iPhones, we're killer videographers and just really living our best lives on our Instagram stories. So for what it's worth and our opinion, I think you're fantastic. I appreciate I've that. seen your work and I feel like anytime I work with, you know, any of like events that I do or whatever, and people are like, oh, we can make this video. I'm like, it's not going to be as good unless you use James. So shut up. <laughs> it's like, I just know that anything 
that you've ever done in, in work that I've done or, or whatever. I've never had like a concern like, oh, we're going to get this and it's going to suck. Or is it is it going to be bad? Or, oh, what's it going to be like? It's always been like a James is reliable and he does quality work. And it always, always, always stands to that. And so I just I think that you're extremely talented and I've seen you in action and everything. And just just to watch you work, I think, is so intriguing and so phenomenal and just so fantastic and I just I think that you're I think that you're great and and wh whatever acknowledgement that is will definitely come because you totally deserve it already at this point so wherever yeah. you'll be in those years that. I think that you're definitely gonna get it all right but yeah. <laughs> I'll thank you in my speech someday you don't have to thank Celeste it's credit. fine she doesn't care as much as I do but <laughs> I hired James in the first place. You wouldn't have even had James if it wasn't for me. Yeah, That's I've that is very true. Place. That is very true. Yeah. Well, well thank you, you James, know. so much for being with us today on our podcast. We really do appreciate your time and your wisdom and your insights. And yes. um, we just really we really appreciate you being with us today. Thank you for listening to the First Name Only podcast. You can follow us on any social media platform of your choosing at First Name Only Podcast to keep up to date with the release of new episodes and news regarding First Name Only. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you get the notification when a new episode is available. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review as we'll be sharing some of those in the future. We also just want to hear from you, our audience. So if you like what you hear, or if there's something that you want to share. We'll see you next time. And remember, your story is important.